this service of prayer and reflection, the office of the Passion of the Lord, feels really like it's made up of eight offices, eight sections. To speak of an office, of course, means we're hinting at the Latin word, officium, meaning duty or service. We speak of morning prayer that's offered in this church as the daily office. It's our duty, our service. The tradition stretches way back. In the Hebrew scriptures, the priest of Aaron were to offer morning and evening sacrifices. When these stopped being made with animals, the priests then would make sacrifices of praise, sacrifices of prayer. Psalm 119 says, Seven times a day do I praise you, God, because of your righteous judgments. And at least from the time of St. Benedict in the 6th century, from then onward, monastic communities and others often have done just that. They pause from work and study in order to pray to God seven times a day or sometimes eight Matins might be said at midnight, and sometimes it was called nocturnes. Lauds would be said in the wee hours of the morning or at dawn, usually. Prime, like it implies, refers to the first hour, the main hour, usually about six o'clock in the morning. Terse refers to the third hour, So if the first hour is set at 6, then the third is at 9 a.m. Sext, the sixth hour, is at noon. Known, which sounds like noon, shouldn't fool us because it's at 3 p.m. Vespers, or evening prayer, happens around 6 p.m. And Compline, or night prayer, happens about 9 p.m. Those of you familiar with our own Book of Common Prayer recognize the pattern as in our own prayer book. There are the services for morning prayer and the noonday office and evening prayer and Compline. And so we have inherited that grand Benedictine tradition. Together this afternoon, we have just said the office of lauds or morning prayer The psalms historically that were said at the beginning of the day are psalms of praise, and they repeat the Latin word for praise, laudate, and so shortened that becomes nicknamed lauds. The gospel tells us how Jesus frequently got up very early in the morning to go out and pray. His disciples were used to it. If they were looking for him, They could guess he had gone out to what scripture describes sometimes as a lonely place. And there he prayed, often alone, often with others. If you're an early riser, you know that one sees things in the morning that one doesn't necessarily see other times of the day. As the sun rises, nature awakens The sun offers reassurance. Another day, darkness will not rule. 
On the night before his crucifixion, in the wee hours perhaps, Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know what happens. They fall asleep. The Gospel of John says that the police and the chief priest and the Pharisees all come into the garden and they give us a clue of the time of day as we're told that they bring with them lanterns and torches and weapons and so we know it was dark, either nighttime or early, early morning. Morning plays an important, uh, a pregnant part in one of my favorite poems by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Hopkins wrote the poem just after he had finished three years in theological college, and so perhaps it's no surprise that while the poem is entitled The Wind Hover, It is dedicated to Christ and full of Christian imagery. The Windhover is at one level a poem about a bird, a bird of that name, but it's about much, much more. Carol Ruman, the poetry critic for the British newspaper The Guardian, points out that Christ's passion is central in this poem, It's the core from which everything else spirals and to which everything returns. The the plunge of the bird, the windhover, onto its prey suggests not simply the fall of humanity and nature, but the descent of a redemptive Christ into the abyss of human misery and cruelty. References to equestrian and military valor The Dauphin, the Chevalier, evoke the soldier Christ, a figure that could be found in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, which Hopkins had just devotedly begun to practice. And so in the poem, the swoop of this hawk-like dove is essentially a spiritual one. But the poem doesn't forget or devalue what it calls the sheer plod of the farm laborer us, workers, regular people, another sort of alter ego. But in the poem, the earth is broken by the plow in order to flare glorious again, and the warm colors suggest crops as well as Christ's redemptive blood. Beyond that, we glimpse some otherworldly shining, a richness not of the earth alone. I share with you Hopkins' poem, The Windhover, To Christ Our Lord. I caught this morning, morning's minion, kingdom of daylight's dauphin, dappled on drawn falcon in his riding of the rolling level underneath him steady air, and striding high there how he rung upon the rein of a wimpling wing in his ecstasy. Then off, off forth on swing as a skate's heel sweeps smooth on a bow bend. The hurl and gliding rebuffed the big wind. My heart in hiding stirred for a bird. The achieve of the mastery of the thing, brute beauty and valor and act. Oh, air, pride, plume, here, buckle. And the fire that breaks from thee then a billion times told lovelier, more dangerous, oh, my chevalier. No wonder of it, sheer plod makes plow down silly and shine, and break bleak embers, ah, my dear, fall gall themselves and gash gold vermilion. (laughs) 
morning brings with it a double blessing. On one hand, the night is over. It's gone. It's forgotten. What was done was done. But ahead of us, the new day stretches out in front, full of possibility, full of promise, full of resurrection.